Welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's not a Victory Monday. Unfortunately, it's not even a Victory Tuesday, but it is football and random things. What's up, Jeff? Well, it's a, it's a, a mental victory Monday, Tuesday. Does that count? Like the mental victory here is, you know, in, in as an acknowledgement of how far Iowa State has progressed under Matt Campbell and also just generally, you know, from the Walden years and you're going over in the, for a season or, or something like that to now where, you know, before in any other season, any other period in Iowa State history, you look at Oklahoma and you're like, man, in order to beat Oklahoma, we are going to have to get, they're going to have to throw seven interceptions and fumble the ball twice. And we have to return a kickoff to, to score, you know, like beating Nebraska and they turn the ball over eight times. Like Mm -hmm. that's the kind of thing of like, this is what you're going to have to do. And the fact that you can be in a big 12 championship and turn the ball over three times in really bad situations, like really poorly timed turnovers. If there is such a thing as a well-timed turnover, but poorly timed turnovers and still probably could have won it even with three turnovers. So that's the, I don't know, little mini mental, mental victory of being like, look, they're, I don't know, props to Oklahoma, but between Oklahoma and Iowa state, I don't know if you can say one team is better than the other one. And I don't know if you can say that one team deserved it more than the other one as far as a a conference championship is concerned. So I don't know, that's a mini mental victory, I guess, but damn that close. Yeah, man, it was, uh, yeah, it sucked because you knew you were so close, you know, and I think that that's what was really unfortunate about it. Um, at the same time, I think there were some positives to take away, uh, but it's like the things that kept Iowa State from winning the game, obviously the turnovers like were a big were part of it. And more than anything else, like the turnovers didn't put uh, points on the board for Oklahoma. I don't think they scored on any of those. Uh, maybe they scored – they did not score on any of the interceptions, um, but it kept Iowa State from scoring <laughs> was really the bigger problem. You know, obviously right. one of them happens in the end zone, uh, which was a, a huge play. Uh, and then the last one where Brock made a questionable decision that I imagine that Brock would probably even tell you was a questionable decision in, in hindsight. But um even then, you know, like the defense yeah. played more than well yeah, enough probably to win a big Twelve championship game or win a big Twelve championship. The offense outside of the turnovers, I thought, largely played well enough to win the big Twelve championship. It's just, you know, those things don't happen in a vacuum. And unfortunately, Iowa State lost uh, a really close game. Well, and the – there was really – I don't know. I, th- I think there was general takeaways. I felt like there were – um, were things that were, I don't know. I feel like the season encompassed pretty well, the Iowa state season, I, I think generally um, one I, I minus the fact that Brees had his lowest output of the year, but that also, that's also because Oklahoma, they sold out to yeah. stop the run. They absolutely, their safeties were at about seven and a half yards. Like they were saying, I literally don't care. You can throw it anywhere. In fact, by the end of the game, they were, and they did. And that's why they were just zipping up and down the field when they wanted to. And when they weren't turning the ball over to passes to Xavier and Charlie and um, to Shaw and to Chase Allen here, there, like the, the fact that they were getting open passing yardage was because Oklahoma 
absolutely had everything seven and a half, eight dudes. They took the Texas playbook and went right in the box. So part, part of it is Brees Hall didn't do anything superhuman other than that dirty, the move that got him into the four yard line mm-hmm. with where they eventually scored a touchdown when he caught like just a little swing pass out of the backfield and threw a hard stop and made the defender, uh, look like he was falling off a skateboard and yeah. then get, you know, down to the three or four yard line. That was impressive. But other than that, he, I mean, he would have had to be an absolute superhuman in order to gain any yards the way that Oklahoma was playing. But outside of that, I think the, the game encapsulated Iowa state season, which I think makes it okay to draw some pseudo, not necessarily through lines or, but like some, th- some nuggets to pull from, from the season to say, okay, here's what I would imagine Iowa state works on in the off season. Um, one of which is consistency in, in not turning the ball over. And I, I think, most of that falls on Brock Purdy's shoulders. And I think he's aware of that. Um, and at the same time, you want to keep his aggressiveness, but you want to make sure the decisions are like, Hey, trust you. You can trust the fact that if it's third and 17, that you don't need to gain 22 on that. If we're, because we have, you know, fill in the blank. We have a running back that can get you short yardage, or we have tight ends that we can convert it, or we have a kicker that can make the plays. Trusting him with the re- letting him trust the rest of the team that it's okay for him not to do everything. But one is consistency, not turning the ball over. Two is to piggybacking off that point is kicking, like kickoffs and field goals. And it's not that they've been bad all year, but they've not been good, and so they've been inconsistent at best. And whether that's the kicker or whether that's the scheme or whether that's operations generally, like something about that. If Iowa state had a, if Grant Mahoney was, you know, let's say Masali still is kicking field goals, but Grant Mahoney is the one that's actually doing the kickoffs who can put it six, seven yards deep consistently. Iowa state potentially wins that game with just that one change because going into halftime, right about halftime, Oklahoma returns one to the minus 45, the first kickoff, which sets Oklahoma up for one of their first touchdown goes out of bounds. And I believe the other touchdown drive they had was off of a big kick return just because the kick was caught at the 12 yard line. There just wasn't enough. I mean, there's just not enough time to get down there. So I would say consistency, not turning the ball over and kicking game uh, were pretty, uh, pretty exempt, like example, giving good examples of what needs to get worked on. But outside of that, what are you going to nitpick? I mean, what do you, what, what can we potentially say? You know what? They didn't play very well. Defense was awesome. Offensive line played pretty damn well, especially with Remsburg going down and the skill positions had the skill positions for Iowa state were better than the skill positions for Oklahoma. Yeah. So I'm looking at the drive charts right now. Oklahoma started their first drive of the 35, which obviously the opening kick went out of bounds, which was like the most, of course, thing of all time. And then obviously you get a 15 yard penalty on Ashim Young that uh, helped that drive along as well. Oklahoma was at the Iowa State 35 in what seemed like two seconds. Uh, and then um, their second touchdown drive, they started at their own 26. That was after a Sally's missed field goal. Uh, that drive also was the one that was helped by the last play of the first quarter. Uh, Jake Hummel dropping an interception and it popping up in the air and being caught by uh, an Oklahoma receiver. Um, 
their field goal that they kicked, they started at the Iowa State 40, came off of a punt. It was a bad punt by Joe Rivera. Um, the last touchdown of the first half, the one that you mentioned, they started at the Iowa State 45. That was the big one. I mean, that was the one where they, you know, Iowa State had gotten back within 10, and then you give up a touchdown in 45 seconds, and, you know, you go into halftime then. And then their, their last field goal they started, that was where Iowa State had pulled within three. And then they were allowed a kick return to the 44. And, I mean, it just is – even when Connor Sally went out there to kick the field goal, I don't remember how long it was. I guess it would have been uh, 40 – no, 37 yards. No, I think that's right. Yeah, at 18 to the – No, 43. 43 yards. 44 yards. So, uh, I mean, it would have been – right about at the edge of what his range was. And even then, I mean, he it hit the crossbar. Like, he almost got it there. But it just is you, – you wonder where – how the complexion of the game changes at that point. If you go from being, you know, down 7-0, to zero, giving them the ball back, they go down and score, to being 7-3, to three, and then on the next drive, you drop an interception, you know. And – it's just those little things, man. Like, I feel like there's like flashpoints in this game where you point, you can point to like singular plays that really turned the tide of how things were going. And obviously the Ashim Young play right at the beginning was one of those. Um, I think that the Jake Hummel dropped interception was another one of those, one of those. I think the kick return to set up the touchdown in the second, at the end of the second quarter was one. That's, but if we're being honest, man, I would say kick their ass in the second half. I mean, uh, that's I think that's really all there is to to say. Iowa State's defense was tremendous, and um, if it was not for putting that group in a bad spot right at the end, then I don't think Oklahoma scores in the second half. And you know, you put yourself in a position to be down three. And you know, I think even when you look at the the last play that Iowa State ran that ended in an interception, I would have probably liked to see them use their timeout right there. I think that guys were a little bit out of control. Uh, it was maybe, I don't know, things had gotten kind of disjointed after the back-to-back -back false start plays. And it would have been nice to see them try and get things back under control a little bit, come out more calm, I suppose would be the best way to put it. Yeah, I would say that I understand the decision not to, though. And, you know, I, I think what, Matt, or what Campbell and Manning's decision in um, – not calling the time out there is trusting that Brock is going to make the right decision. If in fact you get presented with a situation like what was there, which was a gamble on one of your best players. And it just so happened that it went the wrong direction. So I think you want to keep that timeout in your pocket. Uh, so I, I'm not going to say like, yeah, definitely need to call the timeout. I mean, it's third and 11 you've been doing, I mean, up and down the field the entire time you wanted to. So you're going to get basically what you want, except there is, you know, a busted coverage because everyone's all flustered, throw the ball out of bounds. Yes. It becomes fourth and 11, but I don't know. I think average yards per play on that drive minus timeouts was probably like 15. And so you have between Charlie and Saner and Hutchinson who had a hell of a game, you have those guys that are likely going to be able to get there. I think they were just betting on the fact of like, Hey Brock, just chuck it out of bounds. You know, you don't need this third down. Isn't going to be the end, the end of the game. Just let it go out of bounds. So they, they gambled on Brock and lost and that's fine. I mean, I would rather have a coaching staff that is comfortable enough with doing that because then you get inside, you know, the, the, say you convert that, say, say the interception goes the other way. And it's, you know, it's a completed pass for, 
nine yards, but it gets tackled in bounds or something like that. Then you call the timeout and you have fourth and two, you can reset everything and you can call a proper play, including something that goes to Brees. So I don't think the decision to not call a timeout there was the bad decision. I think it was just, it was a roll of the dice that ended up rolling. You got snake eyes on it. So um, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm excited that, I don't know, you lose a big 12 championship game which is, you know, damn, wish we would have been, wish you would have pulled that one out and you're that close to having done so. And it is frustrating that you didn't get there, but it's not too soon to at least peak beyond like not to turn the page. Cause you still have the Fiesta bowl, which we'll talk about, but you can still at least peak towards, you know, the next page without turning it of saying like, we don't know who's coming back, but because of the COVID exemption, everybody gets to come back if they want to. So really the only guys that are going to leave are guys that who's a go are going to the NFL and have a better chance of getting a more money this year than they would if they were to come back for another season, which who that list is, we don't know exactly that that's going to have to be on draft grades and conversations with families and with coach Campbell talking to the kids. So that's point number one. The only, the, the next group that's potentially not going to come back are guys that, their bodies are just beat to hell and they're kind of just ready to be done. They don't think that they should, could want to, or would go through another season. And then the third group are guys that are probably going to get beat out for a job. And then you add it to the fact of like, Hey, I already have a jo- an engineering job lined up for blank and blank and blank, or I already have uh, an internship with wherever. But if you are looking at this and Iowa state makes this comeback, you go out in a big, you go out as big 12 champions and you're a guy that's flirting with any of those lines and you, you win, you go, you know what? I went out on top. If you're, you know, I think a guy that comes to mind is Charlie because you don't know. I mean, depending on his draft grade, if he gets a really high draft grade, he was, he's a finalist for the Mackey award. If he gets a good draft grade and he's a top two, three round pick shoot, man, go. But like, if you're Charlie and you, you have the chance to go out as a champion, and you're a third or fourth round draft pick, yeah, go for it. But now the last taste in your mouth is a Big 12 championship loss, knowing that you're the you, knowing that you're the better, were the better, likely the better team. Are you going to come back and try and avenge that if you're kind of on the borderline? You know, if it's like a Dave Montgomery situation where he was for sure like first, second, early third at the latest draft pick, that guy's gone regardless. Like Ronnie Perkins for Oklahoma, gone. Like there is no way he comes back because he's not going to make his draft stock higher. But if you're Jaquan Bailey, who's going to probably be a mid to late round draft pick, like a sixth rounder or something like that. What, why not come back? Because there's, you know, you can go get your money, but you're going to get your money at the end of next year, go win a championship. So like this low, this really close loss catapults you into next year with this kind of like this FU kind of fire, you know, that like, why we are not going to let this happen again. And looking through the schedule, granted, we don't know exactly what it's going to be because maybe we didn't, you know, this year we thought was going to be something that changed, but like assuming the schedule stays at least relatively the same, who does Iowa state not have a four plus touch or four plus point advantage next season? Or, or who is, who is Iowa state not a four and a half point favorite against Oklahoma in Norman? So probably only Oklahoma and Norman. That's it. I mean, I mean, I, I can imagine that Iowa and Iowa State will probably be a pick, and then it will move towards Iowa State uh, as kickoff gets closer, closer. Or it'll be like a three-point game or something like that at the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, at, to open. I'd yeah. be interested to know what Oklahoma State at home. You get Oklahoma State at home. You get TCU at home. You get Texas at home. Uh, Texas at home. You have Oklahoma in Norman, which is a tough game, but done that. You know, been there, done that. 
you go to go to Manhattan for a team that may or may not be fully back for where they were and are and where they want to be. And go to love it. The conference is going to be fine. I mean, I don't think Baylor is going to be better. I think West Virginia is still going to be fine, but like, I don't think there's any other team other than Oklahoma, potentially Texas, depending on the Sam Ellinger situation that you look at and you're like, man, this is going to be a really tough game. Like, I don't think Iowa state can pull this off. Like Iowa state should be expected to win every game next year, save for maybe Oklahoma and save for maybe Iowa. But even those it's going to be a, a line if they're favored or if they're not favored, it's going to be inside of a half point mm-hmm. on either of those games. Maybe Oklahoma's like a three and a half cause they're rolling or something like that. Who knows? But yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, the Iowa game. I don't. Iowa State will be favored in that game. I would be surprised if they're not. I don't know. I probably overthought that. But like, we can talk about that stuff plenty. Um, I feel like we can give some game balls from this game and kind of do some to get to some specifics of different things. Uh, if we're, if, but if we do that, the first one that I I want to give, man, that Oklahoma front seven deserves some credit. <laughs> Those dudes mm-hmm. came to play. Those are some dogs, man. Like, yeah, they when they pin their ears back and when they're flying around, like those dudes are tough. Whether it's, um, I mean, Ronnie Perkins was obviously awesome. I I didn't end up voting in the uh, most outstanding player of the game because uh, just because it was so closely. I mean, it was so in doubt uh, right towards the end. Um, I didn't get my pick in. I probably would have voted for him. Uh, I thought that he was the person who changed the game the most. Mm-hmm. Spencer Rattler was obviously good. Number ninety-five, the defensive lineman, was also in that bu- in that camp. Yeah, was that um, uh, what, what's his name? Uh, I'm not sure, but here I've, I've got it all pulled up. Uh, He's like their, their three tech. Ninety-five, Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, he was good. Um, I thought Nick Benito was very good uh, on the edge for them as well. I mean, that Oklahoma defense played considerably better than what they did uh, in the first game between these two teams. I think you got to give their secondary credit too. like that, that group I think had improved a lot more than what I maybe anticipated. You know, uh, one of the reasons, you know, one of the reasons 44 was on the field for about 20% of the game. 44. Yeah. I think I was on the field for about 20% of the game. They finally have, I don't know who it was that actually replaced them, but they finally were like, look, dude, you can't get two personal foul penalties every single game and give up a, or a personal foul and a pass interference on every single game. It's just not going to work. So sorry, yeah. let's just, you bring, bring you in spot. The, the one time that they or like the one time I remember him doing anything, it was where Iowa state was kind of backed up. This had to have been in the second half, um, maybe early in the fourth quarter or something like that. And, uh, yeah, it's when Iowa State punted from their own 19. Uh, and they tried to throw – Brock, like, was scrambling. He tried to throw the ball to Brees, like, just kind of flip it to him. I mean, they weren't going to get the first down anyway, but he just tried to flip it to him and see what happened. And uh, he ran in, and it, the ball hit off of Brees' hands. And instead of trying to catch the ball, which he very easily could have done, he just blew Brees up. And I was like, oh – Okay, uh, um, whatever. <laughs> Congrats, man. And then he celebrated. He was looking over at the Iowa State sideline, and I was like, dude, like he probably wasn't going to get the first down anyway. Like, even if he caught it, I was like, you could have just created the turnover at the 19. 
and you guys could have sealed the game, but instead you're just like out here trying to blow people up, but whatever. I mean, it is what it is. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's the first group that I think like deserves a lot of credit because those guys were considerably better. Um, another one, man, I think we got to give a half game ball to Arnold Azuna and to Daytron Young. Cause I think that both of them Daytron played their Young best game at Iowa state. Daytron Young had his best game of his career. Yeah, I think both of them did. I think both in replace of Hashim, I think they both did. And I think Daytron was having cramping issues. Or not Daytron, uh, Azuna was having cramping issues too. Yeah. But I mean, it was, I thought generally, I thought the defense just played really solid. Like they, granted the, the, the couple times that were not really well done where in the first half, they gave up the big post play behind, which Rattler put that one on the money. I mean, it was a really good route. You couldn't have thrown it any better. Like that, that was really well done, but they probably could have covered that better. You know, stay behind someone, even though he's really fast, like that kind of thing. But generally speaking, the defense played solid all the way through, which losing Aishim Young right away puts you at a huge disadvantage, but having the having a guy like Azuna who can just come in and replace him is a that's a giant advantage of that you know it's it's another indicator of where Iowa State is that you when you replace someone you're not replacing them with someone that's like you know that that is demonstrably worse than them you're replacing someone with it who is roughly the same quality maybe slightly you know obviously a starter is a starter for a reason but you're not replacing a starter with a scrub you're replacing a starter with another guy who's probably as good as a starter just slightly worse than the guy that's right there and the defense didn't really miss a beat again they, i mean really well done with daytron young and i and i was shocked when a lot of those big pass plays got very well defended by daytron young and and you know color us stupid for every single time that he would come in the game and give up a big play, they would end up winning most of those games, but yeah. he would get beat. But now he had his best game of the year in a, in a really critical moment. So props. Right. Two. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like I'm, I'm happy to eat some crow in that scenario. Sure. I mean, he, he, he played really well. Like I, I can't sit here and criticize anything that he did. I think the thing that you, and this is something that for Ishim, man, like you got to learn, he's going to have to learn. And this will be part of the maturation process for him as a a young guy i mean they can't afford to lose him <laughs> you know like as 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 good as arnold came in and played i, I think that you can trust like azuna is going to be in the right spot most of the time but he's just not a game changer in the same way that Ishim is you know mm-hmm. Ishim just flies around at a different pace than a lot of people do and you you have to figure out a way to harness that a little bit more i think moving forward because this has been the second game in a row or second time this season that you lose him. If you have him in the first half against Oklahoma state, who knows how different that game could have been, you know, and you lose him in this one, it's easy to sit there and be like, well, they lost two games that he didn't get to play the whole time. And uh, I would imagine though, too, if there's anybody who's going to be fired up and coming out ready to hit people against, against Oregon, uh, I would imagine that number one is one of them. (laughs) He, I think that he will be ready to come out and play in that game. And it was a first half ejection, so he gets the whole game against Oregon. Yeah. So it's. Uh, I do you know, agree it, with that though? Like that he that, would, that's part of his maturation project. Like process. It's, it's it's the Brock Purdy uh, Brock Purdy quandary on defense. You know, like mentioning it's that gunslinger of like you know we want you to be aggressive, we want you to make plays because your aggressiveness is what sets you up in the position that no one else can do what you do, but at the same time let's just put an end limit on the, on the amount of risk that we want you to take, you know, like 
it was uh, Stoops, right? It was the yeah. it was Stoops kid, Drake. And uh, so Stoops is already going down. Like there was no, there's no necessary benefit for making that hit. And like an experienced player is probably going to end up either, you know, like jumping around or kind of diving over to like sort of like a, a somersault over that to, to clear himself from the action. Whereas if he's catching that vertically, you want to break the dude's kidneys. Like if he's catching, if he's going up in the air, Aishim was at the level that if he was, if he would have were to have jumped for that ball instead of ducked down, you're going to break him in half. And that kind of aggressiveness, it's it's bad to say, you don't want anyone to get hurt, but you want to have the aggressiveness that Aishim Young, the fumble against Texas that he caused was because he is hitting dudes harder than anyone wants to be hit. Mm-hmm. And so that's a definite advantage. So, But at the same time, like you said, it's a, you, you got to be able to, reel it back just a little bit there's some risk reward there you know exactly like at a certain point there's too much that you're gonna like you are too valuable especially with i mean we don't know what's going to happen with with eyesworth whether eyesworth he's again eyesworth charlie those guys are kind of on that flirting with that line of do you want to leave and do you not let's say eyesworth does leave to go to the league Aishim's going to have to be the dude. Like he's going to have to be the guy in the secondary that puts everyone in the right spot, gets the right, you know, and you can't, he, he, he makes himself more indispensable next year without potentially without Greg Eisworth. Again, let's say Greg comes back still awesome. But um, yeah, I, I would, I would like Aishim to still keep his aggressiveness and thump people the way he normally does, but a little bit smarter to keep himself in the game. I think John Haycock deserves a game ball as well because the professor had some stuff dialed up where they got a little crazy at times. I mean, uh, where, where they were sending pressures from and stuff like that. Not many of them got home because I don't know if you guys noticed, but uh, Jaquan Bailey was basically being clotheslined every time that he tried to come around the edge. But what can, I mean, what can you do? It's nothing new from the entire season, but uh I mean, when they were sending blitzes with different guys, like the, there were times where they'd have, I mean, they'd have like seven guys at the line of scrimmage and then three of them would come, they'd still get pressure, you know, then the next time five of them would come. I was, it, I was like, man, like, I, if you're standing up there, I have no idea how you know which one of these dudes is coming at this point. Yeah. And, and I, it's cool that Iowa state now has a coordinator not that uh, not that he has Lincoln Riley's number. No one has Lincoln Riley's number. They, they just lost the game. So let's not take it in the context of like being able to dominate Lincoln Riley. But where Lincoln Riley, you don't look at that game and be like, man, I have no idea what's going to happen. Is you can look at your defense coordinator and go, you know what? We're going to be all right against the best offensive mind in college football. We're going to be okay to know and, and consistently. So this is, um, the, the, the thing about, um, Haycock, and this is kind of shout out to the group, the, the group that I am watching the game with. So EJ, the Andersons, the, the Meffords, shout out to everybody. Super fun time. But EJ, that, EJ yeah, Bibbs? Not different, a little lighter, oh, okay. a little, little lighter. Um, but anyway, we were like in that, one of the people in, the, in that group was like, Jeff, talk us off the ledge. Because as I watch the game and you've watched the game with me, it's generally not – you can detach emotion from it most of the time. Like celebrate when things go well, but when things aren't going well, you just kind of look like what are the trends. And so they're like, talk us off the ledge. It's like, okay, well, let's go back five years. The last five times that Iowa State's played each other, Iowa State has had a 12 to 17-point-plus deficit 
that they have overcome by absolutely shutting down Oklahoma's offense every single time. And you would think now after two or three times, like, man, Lincoln's going to get it figured out. Like at some point, you know, Hey, you can only do so much to hold down. And then it happens again for the second time in the same season. And they still manage to make adjustments that shut down what Oklahoma wants to do almost straight across the board. Again, if you didn't have those two big kick returns, those two big starting field positions on the other side of the 50, Oklahoma probably doesn't score at all in the second half or even at the end of the first half, midway through the second quarter. If you don't give up big kick returns or big, you know, a punt return that comes all the way back to the 40, if you don't get all the way up there, Oklahoma isn't executing well enough to earn their way 80 yards down the field. And that is a really cool thing uh, to have a defensive staff, coordinators, coaching staff, players, culture, everything, that that's consistent across the board, that they can take a couple punches and go, okay, cracks knuckles, let's go. Like, you can get to that point. See, and then, this is my only thing, though, and, it, and we've talked about this a lot, and obviously I'm all behind the professor's gambit. But, man, there comes a point, like, can you dig yourself too big of a hole? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Like, and I, and I know exactly, I mean, they, they could have come back. Like, don't get me wrong. I know they could have come back, but I do think that there's, that's almost a very thin line of like, how far behind can you get before it's like, okay, this is going to make this way more difficult than what it needs to be. You know what I yeah, mean? And I would say, and th- this is a thing legitimately was, was going to pin this idea because in a, um, an off season fart that we'll have, uh, this is one of the main things that Iowa State, I would imagine, is going to address is not to make themselves more aggressive, um, like right out of the gate. Because I don't know if that's really a thing that is beneficial because of the way they run the scheme, because of how many how many ways to skin a cat there is. You can, you know, any defense or any offense can adjust in any thousands and thousands and thousands of different ways. So you need to actually see at least a little bit of what they're doing because you can't predict every possible way that a river is going to, if a river is going to run, if you just put a wall in the middle of the river, it's still going to move around. So when you, when you're going to make adjustments, you need to see what they're going to do. However, are they able to learn from these different things whether it's faster or with more aggressive techniques coming into any given game, you know, a game like an Oklahoma or like an Oklahoma state or like a, uh, a team with offensive firepower that you don't really want to get behind or a team like Iowa, where if you're behind Iowa, because of the way they run the ball, you don't want to have to play behind because they are so good at just being bigger, stronger, and faster than you're being bigger, stronger in the run game than you are. So I would imagine that's a thing they're going to address, but at the same time, it's worked out pretty well so far, you know, don't change when it ain't broken, but also it's pretty cool that it's not broken. So it, it, it's interesting, but yeah, try not to get behind too much. Um, but you know, what can you do when you're in the big 12 championship game and are basically three plays away from winning it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's hard to like criticize it too much. It's just, that's one of those things that I would be, in those scenarios, man, like I'd almost like to see Iowa State take the ball if you win the toss and get the ball first and go down and try and score, and then you're not going to like put yourself behind the eight ball. You know what I mean? And it's like that's what I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the way to best way to to handle it is, but it's like instead of getting behind fourteen to zero, you know, if you can figure out a way to get it to where you can kind of get more of a jump start, uh, it, I don't know. 
was my obviously novice football brain trying to uh think through it but um there's somewhere else i was going to take this uh gosh additional game ball yeah additional game balls i mean i think I think defense probably got to figure that that's probably it. But uh, Xavier Hutchinson, the X-Man, was fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that guy has been as advertised since about the third game of the season. And uh, that was probably his best game, even though he didn't score a touchdown. I would say that the two that I would give would be Charlie and Xavier are the two main offensive and we'll get to, you know, I think there's a couple more, but those are the two guys that jump out, you know, the ones that kind of leap off the leap off the field, leap off the page at you. And you're like, without, without those two playing as well as they did, uh, Iowa state's nowhere near where they were. And, and the thing that is kind of cool is when you're going up against a team like Oklahoma, they've won six straight for a reason. There's no, you want to be the best. You got to beat the best. And in the way that you're going to have to beat Oklahoma is players got to make plays like they're not going to give you the game. They're not going to, they're likely not going to just be running and, you know, give a, a steel jans fumble the ball while sprinting thing. They're not going to just give it back to you. You're going to have to earn everything. They're not going to generally miss tackles. They're not going to generally just cough one, cough a ball to you. So you're going to have to make a play. You, you can't, routine isn't exactly going to do it. You can't just catch the ball. And the first time someone gets to you, you you go down, you get tackled. You have to break that tackle. You have to make that diving catch. You have to do those things because in order to beat a team like Oklahoma and for that matter, beat a team like Iowa state, Oklahoma had to make plays to beat Iowa state. They had to get three interceptions. They had to play that really well in order to win that game. Xavier and Charlie made plays. It was you that you do the routine thing. Like on that last drive, Xavier catches a ball at nine yards and then busts his butt to get to the sideline at 15. And he takes a nine yard play where he could have potentially been tackled if he wasn't running at warp speed. And he got to the sideline, got out of bounds. And that was making a play Charlie on the drive that they ended up scoring the, the, the touchdown to bring him within one score. That entire drive was him finding spots, going up aggressively, getting the ball and coming down with it guys making plays and it's cool to see that that line of succession has, I think the torch is sort of in his court. Now we just get a keep him for another, you know, presumably a year or two. So I was probably just going to say something. It, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility for him coming back next year. And I know that this is saying something considering the two guys that we've seen in the last four years, five years, four years, I guess, Iowa state, he could have one of the best seasons that an Iowa State receiver has had in a long time because I think he brings a lot of the elements that Adam or that Allen and Hakeem do or did when they were here. Mm-hmm. He's got to have some more consistency. There's obviously things to work on, but what he has as far as speed, uh, being a possession type guy, and then also the ability to make the big play, like he's kind of like a Hakeem Butler Allen Lazard hybrid in a way, if that makes sense. You know the other thing that he has going for him. An offense you have, I mean, Hakeem and I think Allen had a little bit of Montgomery in, in the same time frame, but well, yeah, that's 17. Yeah. So you have Montgomery and Allen and Butler and Montgomery, like you have those kind of counterpoints, but you have really two. And then Deshante's there, but he's not quite matured yet. He's not that full threat. But you also then don't really – you have Kyle Kemp throwing the ball. Or you have Brock as a freshman throwing the ball. You don't have 
senior Brock Purdy with Brees Hall and the three tight ends and Sean Shaw on the other side, who is a viable threat in his own right, there's not really a, a situation that says, all right, we need to take away above all things number eight. Now it's, we need to take away above all things, number 28. We should probably watch where 88 is too and see where 89 is and also watch where number eight is. Where, so you have this balanced offense that you're in a position that you can do that. I don't know statistically if they're going to be in a, I would hope they don't are, aren't in a situation where they need to throw as much as they had been in the years with Lazard and Butler putting up those ridiculous numbers. So I'm not going to say he's, he'll statistically have a better season or the best season, because hopefully with the way that they're going to play the game, they're not going to be behind, you know, 30 points in every game or, or 15 points in every game and have to come back in every one of them, which is where a lot of those big plays came from. But at the same time, he might, cause he's very talented. So I, yeah, I would say Charlie and Xavier in that game on Saturday, were the ones that I would give the most offensive game ball to. And then the other one would be Joey Ramos who came in and played his first significant snaps for significant snaps since the last Oklahoma game. Right. Yeah. He went, OU, got injured for the rest of in the, in the was Baylor that he got hurt in tech tech. So yeah, got hurt in the tech game. And for the rest of the season was a backup to Remsburg who played, who's playing really well. Remsburg goes down in like the first drive and first play first off first play, play. and boom, you got to step in. And then he managed to play against the best front seven in the big 12. That's not your own team and hold his own. And Iowa state should have, I mean, should have, could have whatever you want to describe it as won the game. So yeah. I would say Ramos is another guy that I give plenty of props to for just you. All right, son, go block Ronnie Perkins. Yeah, it's really hard to not feel super good about that group coming back next year. Mm-hmm. I mean, between Remsburg and Ramos, Daryl Simmons, Derek Schweiger, Colin Newell. I mean, and then there's guys like it, it's hard to sit there and feel bad about like the idea of okay, you lose Sean Foster. Well, who you know what you whether you shift one of those guys, one of those tackles over to the other side or whatever, or Grant Triber, like how prepared those guys have been to come in and just play boom on this like it right away like ha, i don't know like we've never seen that at iowa state you know at least not recently where you lose one guy and then the next guy you put in it's like oh yeah no he's good like he's ready to go like you don't need to worry about him you know and that that to me is uh it just goes to show like how far that lo- that group has come it took a lot longer than a lot of the other positions but i mean just where we are at going into next season with that, with that five, those five guys up front. Like, I, I don't think that anyone should have any concern. It's not like most years where we come back and it's like, yeah, well, they've got some pieces on offense, but can the offensive line be any good? You know, like we're, we know that they're going to be pretty good. They should be better than what they were this year. And they were already good. Yeah. And it's what's fun is they're with, they have been without their best offensive lineman this entire. Oh yeah. I didn't even mention Trevor Downing. Their best offensive lineman, who's likely their best pro prospect on the offensive line, was gone this entire season. So you have Downing, Remsburg, Schweiger, Newell, Simmons, Ramos, all of which, that's six guys, are all back. And Foster has an exemption if he wants to come back for another one. And then that's not including Hudson. That's not including 
anyone else they potentially could be recruiting. You have basically eight guys that are very good offensive linemen, especially at different positions. So you have basically three tackles, three guards, and two centers if you want to use any one of those guys. The offensive line might be different next year because maybe Downing – they move him to right guard and they move Simmons to center. And I don't know, I don't know, whatever, complete hypotheticals. But this offensive line is going to be, uh, again, going back to that point, who is Iowa State not going to be favored against? Because this, stuff like this, where let's say this wasn't, even as a, as a hypothetical thought, thought experiment, let's say this wasn't a COVID year and you lose the, the seniors that are going to end up graduating. On the offensive line, you lose Foster, Right. Like that's it. Yeah. yeah. That's the only guy that you'd graduate. And so you, you, I would imagine Remsburg and Ramos are going to be your tackles, which in which situation then you have between who their three guards are right now, which would be downing plus the two that played in, in Simmons and uh, Schweiger. Um, two, two guys who have been freshman all Americans in the last two years. And then Derek Schweiger, who didn't give up a sack until the Oklahoma game. And then Colin Newell's playing center. Yeah. Who I mean, could go into next year as being one of the best centers in the country? Exactly. So <laughs> this offense is situated, again, like playing the same hypothetical situation. You lose Saner and Allen in this COVID year, but you replace them with Easton Dean and uh, Spencer Loving Black. Plus Skyler. Charlie, Skyler Loving Black, yeah. Skyler, sorry, Skyler Loving Black. Plus Charlie may or may not come back. Plus every single one of your receivers except Landon Akers and Tariq Milton and your quarterback and your All-American running back. This offense, this they're fine. There will be th- this going into or going into the Oregon game and going into next season. This team is only going to continue to get better. And I, I, you know, I don't want to say that it's a blessing in disguise, but in a similar way to the Louisiana loss starting the season, being a way to go look. If you think that you can just come out here and roll your helmets on the field you're wrong. We're going to have to work harder than this. Let's go. This game can also serve as a fuel for saying, if you think that because you are good or because we are talented, that that's going to mean we're going to win. Not the case. You're going to have to outwork everyone still. So this game could serve as a blessing in disguise as a a bulletin board, put a sticky note on your, on your, your mirror in the bathroom to say, Oklahoma 27, Iowa state 21. Yeah, man. It could be that no. If I'm if I'm Matt Campbell, I'm putting third and eleven at the thirty-four with one oh five on the clock on a, a board somewhere. You know? Mm-hmm. And in the weight room, wherever it is. Every time they're out conditioning, you're doing one you're doing one minute and five seconds more. Mm-hmm. Thirty yards more. You know? Like that's what we gotta get thirty yards more. We gotta get thirty yards better. How do we get there? You know, 30 yards more of work. That's what we're going to do every day. And uh, like making it that goal of like getting over that hump, you know, and it's like, and it's not like that's probably not actually like what's going to make the difference, but it's that motivational factor every day. Remind them, this is how close you are. This is what we're going to do to get there, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, it should hurt. I hope it hurts so much that it drives you. Mm-hmm. And uh, Matt Campbell didn't want to talk about that. I kind of asked him that question after uh, the game. He didn't want to talk about that stuff yet. But in my mind, like, that's what it would be. Is It's like, we were this close. How do we use it to as fuel now? How do we make sure and remind people, remind them every day that you were this close, but you didn't get there. This is what it's going to take to get there, you yeah. know? 
when you're playing when it's week five and you're playing you know fill in the blank kansas state or whatever it is it's you're playing baylor at home or baylor it's in waco but you're playing baylor you're a 14 and a half point favorite and you the, the complacency potentially could start to set in you lost last year. You you were you had a chance to get that title because you didn't do the things you needed to do. Here you go. Here's your chance to fix it. Every every single snap is your chance to fix it. So I don't know. We didn't talk much about the Oregon thing, but I think we'll preview that next week because we got time. Yeah, I'll just I'll ask you one question about that though. How difficult would it be to prepare if you're Oregon for the Iowa State defense schematically? Damn near impossible. If Iowa State does what they can do, no one else does it like Iowa State does. So you don't really get the chance to simulate that because, uh, you know, I, I don't remember who, what the, uh, yeah, it was, the, it was a, I've used this one before that in the, the Tony Romo mentioned with the Chiefs, like you can see the scheme and you can come up with a plan, but until you recognize in person what it feels like, how fast it is, how quick and how accurate everything is, how tackles don't get missed, even though you might set up angles, like how open space closes right away until you see it in person you, your plan doesn't really matter so i don't know i, I te teasing into the oregon game I, i'm pumped about this you get a fiesta bowl game and it's potentially the best matchup for iowa state of any team that could maybe be in the fiesta bowl with them because i think iowa state probably outmatches oregon at most positions there are certain players like oregon's linebacker is pretty good but they don't have their best in their second overall pick or second or third overall pick that's going to happen. And Iowa State is coming off of a uh, soul-burning loss. So I don't know. I'm very – I'm happy with where where and who they ended up getting. With the one exception, I can't go. That's the one the yeah. one frustration. But yeah, I don't think anybody's going guessable. at this point. So it's uh... – It'll be it'll be fun, man, but it'll be interesting for sure. All right, Jeff, we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week and we'll dive more into that one uh, after we uh, get a little more time to dive into the Ducks. Hope every everybody has a great Christmas. Hope you have a great Christmas, Jeff. Um, I hope that Santa doesn't bring you too much coal. Uh, I know that you deserve a lot of it, but you know maybe only one or two pieces. I just get it's gone from coal to nothing, so that's good. Santa just leaves a note that says, maybe next year. That's it. That's all I get. It's in a stocking. I don't even – he probably doesn't even write it. He just has an elf write it because it's a little smaller than you normally expect, and it's just like on a yellow legal pad and just says, maybe next year. And that's it. I don't get coal, so I've gone from coal to nothing. It's not even on a, uh, uh, a legal pad. It's on a tiny corner of, like, a takeout menu. <laughs> of something he just found in the house. Like when he was here, it's just like a, like a, an envelope that is of the let, you know, that's open on the table that like, you just rip the top of the envelope off and just shoves that in the stocking. He just yeah. makes a point to come and drop something in, but just maybe next year. For sure. All right. We'll talk to everybody next week. Have a happy holidays and, uh, and stay safe.